Golden West Radio now brings you the Lawn and Garden Journal. Get your questions ready. Our toll-free line is open at 1-800-374-3315. Now, here's your host, Carla Hersena from St. Mary's Nursery and Garden Center. Good morning, everyone. It may be a cool morning, but it's not as cold as it was the past few days. I think looking at the projected weather that's ahead of us, I think I'd like to say it's go time. And the G word is for gardening. Yes, we want to know that maybe it's now time to go. We see that some of our plants, I I have to say, uh, South St. Vital in close to Winnipeg here, uh, did say that they had some uh, freezing temperatures, yet and even a hard frost on some. I was uh, visiting and looking at some of the gardening sites that are in there, and one lady actually, I don't know if she's a listener, but she actually picked up a disc of ice that had formed on her birdbath. So the temperatures did get cool. But I kind of giggled because I wonder, driving around, seeing all the different colorful bedding sheets that were out there. So it's... It's so nice to see that the weather's going to be nicer. We're going to be in our gardens. And it's time to get gardening. So, have you made your garden yet? The poem is, who makes a garden? Whoever makes a garden has never worked alone. The rain has always found it. The sun has always known. The wind has blown across it and helped to scatter seeds. Whoever makes a garden has all the help he needs. Whoever makes a garden surely should not complain with someone like sunshine and someone like the rain and someone like the breezes to aid him with his toll and someone like the father who gave him the garden soul. Whoever makes a garden has oh so many friends and the glory of the morning and the dew when daylight ends. It is Saturday, May 29th. I actually wrote, I, I wrote down the 28th. It's the 29th. And it tells you how fast May is going. And we could see that summer is coming just around the corner. And it's time to get our gardens going. We're going to answer the lines right now. Hi, Marianne. Hi, how are you today? I'm good. I'm very, well, I'm a little tired, but good. <laughs> it's like, it's like the farmer putting his fields in, you know, uh, uh, stocking shelves and making things look good and I just yeah. last last night I took a little bit of time just to go through and look at the flowers I you know I'm I'm a little bit uh ahead of you guys I'm I'm doing a little bit of deadheading and encouraging new growth and you know that's a peaceful time right right it yeah is. It's, it's nice to get that uh done too so that uh they bush out more right Oh, so true, so true. I am an I am such an encourager that when we first plant our little our little seedlings, that if you get one little branch growing, let's let it grow just a little bit and give it a snippet. Then you get three, and then you let them grow, and then you get five. So, yeah, yeah it's like a clean haircut every every now and then. I just love doing it. How can we help you this morning? Okay, we are uh, planning on putting. Um a planter box or whatever you call it, you know, those the ones that you build on the front of the house. Yeah, like um um you're you're gonna do a, a, a like a yeah, planter like a <laughs> raised wall. a raised retaining wall garden bed. There you go. Yeah. 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 
and it's going to be about 12 to 18 inches high. Now, I'm wondering about planting perennials in there. Do they fare well on um, in in those kind of places as well? Okay, are you out in the where? First of all, where are you calling from? New Bothwell. New Bothwell. Okay, so sometimes there's there's always a different rule of thumb because it depends on the conditions, your exposures, all that kind of stuff that's in it. So if you're in New Bothwell, if you're in a sheltered area, uh, rock walls up against the house, um, even though they're a foot high, sometimes have a tendency to you're going to be able to put some perennials in there because you have the added warmth of your house. If okay. you were go- if you were going to go higher, I'd say you know um, I've seen some that are like two, three, four, you know, three feet, two and three feet high in the middle of some areas. And in those instances, the insulating factor that goes through the rock wall to the core, it may not be enough. Now, okay. I would probably. Are you in a little farmstead with a nice little uh, sheltered area? Or are you open? Uh, we are in a residential area. Okay, so you're probably and, a little... Sh- yeah, go ahead. And we face uh, the front of uh, where the planter would be would be facing west. Okay. So it gets a good part of the sun in the summertime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Foundations up against houses. Now, here's a few tips. When we do our landscaping up against the houses, make sure that your walk wall is, um, how do I say this, out far enough in proportion to what the scale of your home is. Right. And because um, so I always like telling different scenarios, I sometimes see rock wells built where they're really uh, in line with the house, but they're built so that they're under the, if I look up, there's the overhang that's there. And most plants mm-hmm. and shrubs and everything don't like to be planted too close to the house because that extra heat in the winter they like to be pulled out a little bit so if you're planning it give it a little bit of a depth that's in there because the more soil that you have up against the house and um you know wider like don't go two feet go a little bit wider undulated pulled it away a little bit um also too you can just hear my brain going I, there's so much i have to tell you um <laughs> when you build that up too as well you're going to know that if you're too close, the plants that are closer to the house are going to be a little drier than the other ones further away, especially facing west. So you're going to have to make sure, mm-hmm. yeah, you're going to have to water a little bit better. And that yep. takes you right back to the winter too as well. Now you're going to want to, I, I know we don't want to talk about snow and freezing up again, but when you go to put your uh, plants and your bedding away in the fall, the most important thing is put, um, water into those plants so that they're well iced up in that garden because okay. your house is going to be warm and that soil there, even though it feels frozen over the winter, that warming effect will steal some of that moisture out from that, from there too as okay. well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think you'll be do, uh, good. Um, just to give yourself backfill it with a nice four way, four way or three way blended mix that are on it. Any new soil that you have going in there. Um, I have high expectations that you'll be doing a little bit of weeding in the first two years because <laughs> new soil brings new weeds that are there. Uh, so, okay. if, yeah, so if you want to, I don't know if you're planning on putting fabric and rock in that bed or if you're just going to have it all black soil. Uh, just hopefully black soil and maybe a few ornamental rocks in there, but 
Yeah. Um, nothing. Um, we're we're in an area where it's too windy to add mulch. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Okay, you don't want a mulch yard. That's for sure. <laughs> so yeah, we we know that the mulch doesn't work. We tried it and. In one of our other places where we lived in, it, it, it looks beautiful as long as there's no wind. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> and you know what? I love, there's something about um, just having the soil so that you can, and this is where the weed reduction, if you're not going to put a mulch in to help you with the weed, weed prevention, is you want to make sure that you have a, a, a mulch for those that are going to use it, deep enough that you prevent the weed seed from getting in the soil. But that does not mean that you're never going to get a weed because oh, yeah. A, yeah. <laughs> a, weed will grow, a weed will grow between a rock where there's no soil if it's given moisture. You know, yeah. All it needs yeah. is that little bit of moisture. So bl- your black soil, the most enjoyable time is to just get yourself a nice little, uh, you just call it, to, it's yours, it's the she-ho that you can just go in there and just kind of till up the soil <laughs> a little bit. It just, it's beautiful. Black dirt around some crisp, beautiful plants is beautiful. Okay. okay. All I right. I have one more question. Sure, let's do it. Okay, this is a, a different topic. I have an indoor house plant that got these sticky little residue on it, and I tried spraying it with soapy water, and I thought it was good. And uh, now it's resurfacing. So I, what I've done is I've taken the plant completely out of the soil and I have uh, put it in warm, soapy water, completely submerged it, including the roots there, and it goes into a glass of water just so that I'm, I'm making sure I'm getting rid of all the bugs. Okay. <laughs> and wondering how many days should I do that? Uh, you're, how many days you're dunking it or how many days you're keeping it underwater? Because I, I, you're, no. kind of <laughs> you're kind of making me giggle here. I'm going, if it's in the water for that amount of time, you got to bring it out there, girl. You can't leave oh, it in the water. No, no, no. I, I okay. apologize. <laughs> okay. I, I <laughs> it's submerged for 15 minutes and then I give it air. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so hopefully I'm drowning any bugs, but the plant will live. <laughs> okay, all right. I, I was just ready to burst out into that. <laughs> that's, yeah, that must have sounded pretty funny. That, that's, that's actually good. That's good. I think you I think you have it well under control. <laughs> okay. So, uh, but yes, if whenever you see, what kind of house plant is it? It's an ivy. It's an ivy. Okay. Ivies are, uh, all right. You're not going to hurt it because ivies, English ivies, Boston ivies, they are so hardy. Uh, you can tell by being submerged underwater for 15 minutes, I guess. <laughs> but you can, you can actually soak them quite well. And the other thing is because you're probably getting a repeat, uh, a repeat action from that is when you get uh, the sticky substance, it's either a sticky substance or you're going to get it from uh, aphids because it's some of their juices that are being extracted. Uh, you'll kind of get it from, um, you know, aphids is the most right, spider mites sometimes too, but you'll also notice dusting, a soft webbing or dusting under the leaves. So frequent washing is very beneficial for that. But uh, the other thing too, is it a house plant that goes outdoors or is it a house plant that stays indoors? It, it was indoors, staying indoors. Yeah, okay. 
All right, because a nice uh, little showery rain. If you're if you get caught up with dunking it, the other thing that you can do is uh, frequent uh, giving it a little bit of a, a showering too. Like sometimes okay. you may have heard me say, I will take a black plastic bag tight tight over the soil, and I will take it to the shower and just give it. A, if you have a hand shower thing that you can use in the shower, just give it a okay. good give it a good rinse off. Because what you want to okay. do is you want to target getting um, if it's aphids. Those little guys can um, yeah, create quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's aphids because uh, th- those you usually see, but yep, there, there's yep. nothing that I can find. There's nothing flying, nothing crawling that I was able to see. Okay. So I'm guessing it's one of the really tiny ones like the spider mites or whatever, yeah. but I didn't. Yeah. I couldn't and- even find a little web. Yeah. Well, sometimes you won't see webbing. Sometimes what you have to do is look on the undersides of the leaf structure and mm-hmm. you will see a powdery, dusty, um, dustiness that's on it. It almost looks like if you took very fine powder or flour and, went okay. and blew it. Okay. But, okay. but this is a, this is a clue that if you see, if you don't see any bugs, the secret to it is frequent washing and sometimes misting our plants with an atomizer with a nice misting effect will deter these, uh, insects from harboring on the undersides of leaves because in nature yeah just think in nature it rains it gives us the moisture that we need but it also cleans things away right okay so just plain water misting water misting is perfect for spider mites because spider mites like locations that are hot and dry interesting Okay? okay thank you you're very welcome thank you hey thank you very much for the giggle this morning okay <laughs> you too okay okay Thanks. bye-bye bye-bye enjoy your day you're listening to the lawn and garden journal today is a day that i think everyone is going to be happy to maybe get into the garden start assessing might be a little cool and with maybe some of the rain that we're getting in some of the areas but day, today is a planned day to action to start gardening this week the weather ahead looks like it's going to be good so let's go to the lines elaine is next hi elaine hi Hi, how are you, and where are you calling from? I'm calling from Killarney. Well, hello to everyone in Killarney today. Uh, I have a pink, tame water lily that I cannot get it to flower when it goes out into the pond. Right now it's in the basement. Okay. basement. Yeah, good thing it was in the basement. I had a few water lilies here at, uh, at work here, left outdoors, and oh my gosh, they did not like the weather that we had, uh... Last, or not last night, but the night before. So now, are, now, how old is your water lily? Have you had it for a number of years? Yes, a number of years. Okay, and when did it stop blooming? Hasn't bloomed the last couple of years. Oh, okay. So there's kind of a, maybe a few things that happen with it because as plants start to mature, have you ever, um, have you split and divided it or mm-hmm. have you, is it always been in the same pot? It's in the same pot. It's a big tub pot. A big tub pot. Okay. And it's got lots of leaves, right? Seems to have. Okay. All right. So there's a couple things that could affect the blooming of a water lily that's on it if it fails to bloom. It could be a combination or one or two of these things. So sometimes water temperature, if the water temperature doesn't get high enough to its uh, capacity that they like it to be at, and it should be at least 80 degrees around that temperature. That well, say, uh, just whatever the air is, we don't yeah. heat the pond at all. Yeah, so if it doesn't get to 80 degrees, then that could be part of it. And the other part is, 
water lilies themselves, though we like the foliage to shade the underside of the leaves in, in prevention of algae and growth, um, they, they like to have as much sunlight as they can to get them to bloom. The lots of sun in the pond. Lots of sun. Okay, mm-hmm. so the third one I'm going to say is uh, before you put it into the pod, try getting some fertilizer tabs to give it some extra nutrient and extra feed. feed. Fertilizer tabs. Yeah, there's fertilizer tabs that you can get for water lilies that will be a little tab because it's hard to throw fertilizer in the water, but there's little tabs that you can get that you can poke into the um, to your strata of soil mixture for your water lilies before you put them in the pond. And especially for the water lily. And they're for a water lily, yeah. Okay. Okay, you can probably get that at any garden center. Okay, sounds good. Okay. And the other question is, uh, what do I do with my potted poinsettia to get it to flower next Christmas? Oh, so you have a green thumb and it's still growing, right? <laughs> I don't know about that, but okay, I wonder. Well, with poinsettias, if, you, if it's still going, uh, the one thing about poinsettias is they love growing in the full sun. So the best thing for them is to grow outdoors or in an area of the house that has as much bright light as you can. That's on it. In and the then, pot? In, the, in a pot, yeah. If you want it, even at this point, if it's in the same pot that you bought it in, you could probably bump it up into a pot, a pot size an inch or two bigger, not, mm-hmm. not any bigger than that. And um, probably for about six, seven weeks, uh, what I want you to do is to choose a room uh, prior to when you're wanting it to reset and start changing color is it has to go into an area that is completely dark at the same time of day for the same number of hours for a time period of six or seven weeks, okay? That's just before Christmas. Yeah, well, prior. So you're going to be starting probably in October, okay? Mm -hmm. That's on it. So if you start at that point, and literally you put it either, you know, let's say 8 o'clock every night, it goes into the closet, or 8 o'clock at night, you throw a big cardboard box over top of it. But it's one of those plants that is sort of the day neutral. You need to have a darkening effect for it to set the color tone, not the flower. I'm not talking about the flower because the flower is very, um, the flower is not the leaf. It's something else, okay? Mm-hmm. So it causes that color change. All right? Well, we'll try that, I guess. Yeah. You, you can try it and see where it's going from because you will see that it changes color. It will be a slow transition. And then, it, is it a red or is it pink? Red. Red? Yeah. Then it will char- start to change to that. Don't forget to keep fertilizing on it, too, as well, okay? So if I put it in a spare bedroom that, you know, isn't used, yep, and just leave the door open uh, 24-7, is that close enough? You can leave the door open 24-7, as long as you're not turning the lights on when you walk into that bedroom. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as you start going in there and sort of saying, oh, I'm going to go in there and work for a bit or I'm going to go in there to do something, you do not want an interruption on that timing Mm -hmm. of, you know, day to night hours. Okay. Okay? Sounds good. Okay, sounds good. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you for calling, Elaine. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know what? Already, just think of all the gardening that we do. We're still talking about plants from indoors to outdoors, because the transition of plants is all around us. We have tropical plants that are meant to be in our houses all winter, but we're bringing them outdoors. Why not? Hibiscus, oleanders, uh, perfume trees. These are all beautiful things that we can dress up our decks and our patios, enjoy them outdoors, 
And then when, yep, when uh, things get a little whiter out there, we're bringing that greenery indoors to motivate us and inspire us. Let's keep talking about our gardens. Susan's next. Hi, Susan. Hi, this is Susan Clausen from Austin. Well, hello, Austin. Yeah, and I have a hydrangea plant. I've got given as a gift, and it's planted in my my front south window. It's a front window, but to me, but it's a south window, and it gets lots of light. But it's an endless summer bloomstruck plant, and it hasn't bloomed for me. And it was so pretty when I got it, and I was so looking forward to it. Is there anything that is lacking that I could do for it to make it bloom? It's a nice, luscious plant, green plant, but it doesn't bloom. Okay, so how old is it? Well, it's, uh, I think it's the sixth summer uh, from when I got it. It's sixth summer? And, yeah. it's in a, and it's in a sunny location? It's doing... Yes. Okay, and are you getting tons of greenery and no bloom, or are you getting... I wouldn't say tons. It's just a nice, luscious green bush. It's, not, not, uh, it's nice and full, but not overly full. Okay. But okay. Uh, I was thinking it should have buds. <laughs> yes, it should have buds. The hydrangea in the endless summer uh, bloom strike is beautiful. That's on it. It's got well, a beautiful color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're wanting to try and give it a little boost, I would. Uh, are you adding any extra fertilizer to it? Well, I do, just the same as I did my other flowers. Yeah, yeah. But your hydrangea is an acid-loving, high-nitrogen uh, plant. Yeah. So if you're if you're doing like um, Miracle Grow fifteen thirty fifteen, yeah. Try switching it up a little bit and going to more of a thirty ten ten, or a thirty six twelve twelve. Okay. okay. Because what hydro- did you say? Thirty ten ten. Yeah. Well, the old the old school was muric acid from way back, or else there's some. As long as your front number is the highest number in its thirty. What was the second number you gave me? Uh, 36, 12, 12. 36, 12, 12. Yeah. Okay. So if, if, as long as you're, those are the NPK numbers of the fertilizer for most plants. Okay. So as, as long as you have a very high number, Susan, at the front, mm-hmm. then you want to increase more of acidic quantity for your plants. Okay. And, and I other, should do it right now already, right? Yeah, I would do it now. The other thing too that you can do is if you're not fertilizing all the time, if this is a, is it a new bed or is it an old bed that you've planted it into? Well, uh, it, the, the, the place has been here uh, for, uh, what was it, two, I've been here uh, six years. So it's been eight years that this place has been here that I'm living in. Yeah. And I would consider it still new, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's so new. Year. Yeah, so what it is is sometimes the soil content, and we are, uh, I don't know what your uh, soil is like in Austin, but we're it's very sandy. sandy. Okay, so what, if you're sandy and it's quick draining, I would probably get some amendments in there. You could probably add some compost and some peat moss. To, oh, okay. Uh, because peat moss adds acidic content to the earth. So okay. if you want to get yourself a small bag of uh, peat moss and work its way around there. And Just maybe... around, not into the bush. No, you can not <laughs> into the soil. Yeah, you I can mean put like it... in the mid- midst of the, of the bush, of that yes. plant. Yes, yep, yep. Just Do around it... it from the outside or all over? You can... Well, if you, if you know what, uh, hydrangeas are kind of a little brittle, so I don't want you to dis- disrupt it if it's already sort of growing out, but... Most of the times when we do applications, we're doing it around the drip line. Yeah, okay. That's the outer areas of oh, it. Oh, yeah. That's where the finer roots are. Okay. So if you, 
And let's see if we can, I'm suspecting that your pH is too low. Try doing that a little bit that's on there. Trying to get some pH in there. Mm-hmm. And um, see if that plays a difference. Because already if you're fertilizing with your flower one, which is your high middle number. Yeah, and I do and that it, every day. Yeah, if, not, if that's not working, let's shock it. And sometimes okay. shocking a plant by changing its regime uh-huh. will cause, we're, put it this way. If it's under stress, the first thing it's going to do is produce a bud and a bloom. Yeah. Because the plant survival technique, that is, if, if a plant is under stress, it's going to try and produce a flower, which is going to produce a seed to continue its generation. Mm-hmm. So if we'll kind of shock it, okay? Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, then. Okay. Thank you Let so me, much. You're welcome. Let me yeah. know how it goes, Susan, yeah. okay? Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. So, and in essence, that if you think of the life cycle of a plant, and this is where uh, earlier when I sort of started off saying, you know what, when you have a small little plant and you see one branch, and I love where you take annuals and you cut it and you get three or four and you get five or six, when you get a plant that is not blooming, stressing it will sometimes create that effect that will get it to go into a next bloom. And this may be something that may, uh, some of you may be affected that if on certain trees, uh, I know that we've had a few callers that uh, rabbits have girdled the trees all the way around and have eaten these trees where the bark is actually gone. And some people are saying, but it's still flowering. It's early. How could it die? Well, just remember trees and shrubs. If you had an incident where the cambium and the bark has been eaten and that connective tissue has been disconnected, there is enough energy in that tree and the shrub in the upper canopy and the upper source of that tree to produce as much as it wants to. And it knows that it's going to have a little bit of a demise. So it's given out the last hurrah of a lot of flowers okay so let's break oh we got bob on the line hi bob how are you hi carla yes we uh, we have an issue with some paper birch trees okay the tops of them are dead Ooh. bottoms are are nice and green with green leaves but the tops of them are dead and i i know it's my fault i didn't water them enough what well, do we do? Okay, so, okay, I always like to get the little story behind the story that's in there. So, A, how old are your birch trees? Uh, 2019, we planted them. So, they were six feet tall. Okay, all right. Um, uh, take a look around on your birch tree. Now, when is it a clump birch or a single stem? A uh, single stem. Single stem. So moisture could be part of that because we know that birch trees themselves, naturally they like water. They usually see a lot of them around um, uh, water sites and water areas where they grow. So they love to be in that wet situation but with good drainage afterwards. The other incidence that you could have is um, if you're seeing that one or two branches are dying off of it, there could be a fungal disease or disease that's happening. So I'm going to ask you to take a look at your tree in the upper canopy to see, sort of see, A, if there's any uh, irregular markings that are on that limb that's on it. Uh, if that, if it, you know that it's not completely leafed out and if it's completely dead and brittle, this is the time that you want to maybe uh, prune that out right now so you can see that. Um, 
The other thing, too, is the birch are prone to a birch bore that you could have a bore in there that causes a demise on it that way. So there's a couple things that may be happening with your birch. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, well, maybe maybe that's it. Uh, uh, I don't can't see anything really uh, on around the stems, but... Yeah, or even up on the, sometimes on the stems. So what is the thickness of the, of the branching and the trunk that's on there? Uh, well, the trunk is, is really just, uh, you know, a little better than an inch. Okay, uh, so around. it's, yeah, so it's a new planted. That I can't right. explain. So there's a few possibilities. Lack of moisture could definitely play. Uh, a break, a break or a cut in the cambium, which is the trunk. That's why I'm thinking that if you go up and you sort of investigate where there may be a split or a break, sometimes frost cracks will uh, open up on certain areas and cause a breakage of cambiums. It's on there. You can look at that. Um, I'm just thinking in my, my, my mind's going all in different directions of what are the things that could be possibly wrong with that. Um, right. Has the tree completely leafed out or budded out and except for these branches? Uh, true. They've, they've completely leafed out, uh, yeah. except for the, the, well, the one, it's the top half. The other one, it's the top third. Okay. Well, if they haven't leafed out, that's on it. Uh, do some pruning of it. If it's the leader, then you'll probably just end up having a little bit of a misshapen birch tree that's on there until one of the other ones becomes sort of the leader that's in there. Okay. But I would prune it out now and see what it is. It's in it. It's okay. hard to see if it's. It's hard to see or say if it is birch borer, but birch borer itself will cause limb portions to die back. You know, um, there is a. You know, uh, in the old day schools, uh, if you had some Saigon 2E on it, that was one of the things that was remedied for in the olden days for treating uh, birch borers. That's in there, the birch borer disease. But that is a long gone product. So unfortunately. Um, there isn't sort of a cure for this one. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, I hate to give you. you bad. I hate to give you bad news. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm always thinking of the positive side, and I'm like, how can I help you? <laughs> but you know what? Let's let's prune it out, and let's let's see what new growth you have. And sometimes by pruning it out, you'll ha- you'll get new growth that will help you to uh, recreate a, a nice design style of a tree. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much, Carla. Oh, you're very welcome. Enjoy your day. Okay. I love how we go from annuals to tropicals to garden to trees. These are our gardens, and they open up an endless, when I say endless, endless conversation on gardening because it takes into so many different capacities. And like today, there's, there's there's the dilemmas, there's the trials, there's the tribulations, but there's always... In the end of it all, guys, there's always their rewards of having a garden, right? Not only for the plants and everyone around us, what we're creating, it's good for us too. It, it motivates, motivates us, it gets us energy, and it makes things so, yeah, there's the girly side in it. It makes everything pretty. All right, so we have a couple questions, and I know that um, 
you know, if we still have time, the lines are open, 1-800-374-3315. But there are a couple things that I wanted to mention, and I'm sorry if I did not answer you back, but being the farmer, I'm on the field doing a lot of stuff here at this center. So I'm going to just say that there's a couple things that we want to do, and one of them, and this is uh, important because we're going to talk about our tomatoes. Hi, Dwayne, if you're listening. Uh, there's a couple things that we have that are preventative of stink bugs on your uh, tomatoes. There was a quick uh, answer or question about it. Now, stink bugs. If you want to, just a quick little thing I had mentioned before that diatomaceous earth, also known as insectagon, will work on your uh, maggots that are on there, but also for stink bugs. If it rains heavily, you're going to reapply it. But there's also the thing that we had a conversation that brought to mind about companion plants. Now, Companion plants are meant to either help us or go through different areas of aspects of it. So when you do that, you want to think of all the different things that you can plant with things that promote growth or things that can actually help you to remedy things. So if you're thinking of doing your tomatoes and you want to get rid of those stink bugs, right? We don't want any stink bugs. So plant other plants that will actually act as a magnet to take them away from your tomatoes, like maybe uh, millets or sunflowers. Now, if you plant millet, you're going to maybe get some birds, and maybe the birds are going to eat the stink bugs. Just see a cycle happening? Now, also marigolds. Marigolds have been known. Hello, Grandma. Grandma always planted marigolds in her garden. Why? Because they act as a repellent for certain bugs. Hey, historically, we've been told, we've been taught. I held my first marigold with my grandma on a farm in Gainsborough, Saskatchewan. Yes, use the marigolds. Another little tip about sort of getting rid of your stink bugs. Make sure your gardens are clean of weeds. Yep, no weeds, all right? We talked about using our garden hose. Let's get them out there. And the other thing too, when you're planting your tomatoes, don't smush them all together. Nice defined tomato space tomato space it makes good for good air movement good production and it allows creative stuff that you can get a hoe around there and clean up the weeds that are on it also too if you want to do a little bit of uh cleaning up or tidying up naturally in some of these tomato farmers that do propagation or or production of tomatoes is they remove some of the lower leaves that are on them. So if your plants are have excessive foliage and everything that's on them, you don't need all that foliage. That's why we're removing the suckers out of the basal branching. Okay, now I'm saying that we want to get rid of the basal branching. Oh my gosh. Okay, on tomatoes, we want to get rid of the basal branching and remove the suckers that's on it because it opens it up. It allows more sunlight to get to our tomatoes for helping to the right. That's a win-win. There's my little rant on stink, stink bugs this morning. That's that's a sort of a, a trial and a tribulation in itself. But let's take go right back to lines. We have Simone waiting patiently. Hi, Simone. Hi. Hi, how are you? Not so bad myself. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Hey, where are you calling from? Uh, basically, it would be St. Claude, Manitoba. Well, hello, St. Claude, Manitoba. How can we help you on the Lawn and Garden Journal? I have a ornamental silver maple, and it's full of little bugs growing on the leaves, like little dots. I think they're worms that are going to come there. I Ooh. want to know how to get rid of it. 
Okay. Um, they're little dots. Okay, canker worms. I've heard that canker worms are going to be really um, maybe nasty this year. Uh, there's a little prediction. Yeah, there's a little prediction there. What you can do, and how old is your silver maple? About four years. Okay, so it's a smaller it's a smaller tree right now. No, it's like eight feet. Oh, okay, so it's manageable if you're on the ground. That's on there. Yes. So you can you can apply if you're wanting to do anything like that. Um, what you can do is you can apply. Um, uh, there's a BTK that's on there, but BTK is only effect on the worm when it's open. You can probably do a uh, ambush spray if you're wanting to do any type of bug. It's basically ambush is if if you're wanting to go sort of into the chemical side of things. Uh, that is probably the only chemical that is uh, still out there that you can use as a uh, foliar and application spray on most products. Or if you want to, there's a product called Endol, uh, which is more friendly that you can do as a spray application as well. So you can put it in a hose-end sprayer or a backpack sprayer and give it a little bit of a spray that's on it. But not knowing what those dots are, uh, if you can... If you're close by to a garden center that you can put it in a, a sample in a clear plastic bag and let somebody take a peeksy at it, that's good. Now, are the, are the dots um, flat or are they bumped out? Bumped out. Bumped out. Okay. So and, they're you, kind of, and they're kind of reddish, reddish brown. Oh. Okay, if they're reddish brown on that, you could actually have this, the production of starting of a gall that is on the leaf. Um, sometimes if it's a reddish bump, it's actually an insect that feeds on the structure of your leaf and it becomes this little, almost like, um, they're, you know, like, you know what a skin tag is? It creates almost yeah. like this, yeah, it's almost like a skin tag that gets attached to the bottom of a leaf structure and they always occur basically on the bottoms of the leaves. So are they on the bottom of the leaf? No, they're they're bottom and top? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So it could be a I'm thinking it could be a leaf gall. I'd be curious if you want to send a picture uh to the email here at the Lawn and Garden Journal at goldenwest.com uh, you can, I can try and take a look at the picture, but uh, if you can take it to your garden center and ask them to look at it, they might be able to identify it too as well. I couldn't hear you on that one. You were breaking up. The ambush is not organic at all, and uh, the... Uh, the end all, it's not organic per se, but, uh, you know what it's, there's different things that you can do when you're on it. So I'm sorry, but we're, I just lost you there. What a morning. It has gone by way too fast. Have fun working in your gardens this week. Everyone we will be back next week on the lawn and garden journal. Bye-bye everyone.